80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether or not you should dig these out again. So, if you're ready for an 80s music deep dive from Aha to Wham, Bowie to XTC, Madonna, Hair Metal, New Wave, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn your Walkman up to 10, and let's go! Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I'm Henry. And I'm Chris. And I'm Megan. I'm going to give you my five stock picks that will make you rich. Like Man. Every time I turn on YouTube, there's like a Motley Fool guy mm. who says, here's my four stock picks that will make you rich. Obviously, you have been doing some sort of day trading or some sort of uh, stock thing in your spare time. That's like the popular thing. Mm-hmm. Suddenly mm-hmm. people care, or a lot of people care about stocks. <laughs> yep, yep. Anyway, you're not on the Motley Fool webcast. You're on 80s Music Exposed. And we review records here. Sometimes. Sometimes we talk about stock and shit. I hope not. <laughs> I have nothing to add. <laughs> Uh, well, well, well. Back to our show. Something yeah, yeah. that people might be actually interested in. Henry, I wanted to, to talk just real quickly for a second about an album we covered last episode because I feel like there was something in there that we didn't cover that we should. Lionel Richie's album. Mm-hmm. Megan, I know you want to hear more about that Lionel Richie album. I can't believe this is the one that's coming back. I just it just shocked me when I looked like how many there was over like. Close to like eighty people that played on this record. It's like a it's, that's too many people. Yeah, it's a lot of people. And then too many people. Of course, we highlighted Richard Marks because I think that just shocked us all. Um, but there were some other names on there that were kind of weird to me. Um, Thomas Dolby played on that record. Hmm. Don't know where. That's really random. I bet he played keyboards. I'm sure. Just <laughs> sure. Going out on a limb <laughs> there, you aren't think you? That? You think <laughs> on drums? Thomas Dolby. Um, Joe Walsh played on that. What do you think he played, Henry? Uh, bass. Bass. Right. Sure. And Kenny Rogers. He sang bass. He's uh, a hell of a tuba player. Yep. I tweeted. He was re- everywhere in the early '80s. Yeah. Kenny Rogers. He was really like making a resurgence. It seems like it was that crossover stuff. He was doing a lot of crossover. So let's clarify this. Uh, Richard Marks is alive. Yes, alive and well. And he's married. To- I just thought Richard Marks was dead. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's married. Why? I know I never said he was dead. He's been tweeting every day. <laughs> I I guess I just assumed he was. I kind of felt like he was dead. He's married to Daisy Fuentes. Oh, it, yeah. In the TV. She's dead, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> She's very much alive. Mm. Wow. What do you think they talk about? It's they probably talk old. about the 80s more than we do. Oh, yeah. Well, this time we're going to go into December of 82, Chris. We are. Moving right along. Yeah, let's move it along. We're going to cover December of 1982, which means my favorite type of episode is up next, which is uh, the year-end special where we get to pick our five favorites from the year. But we got to finish with December of 1982 right here. So what do you guys say we cover a few significant events from that month to get in the mood? Sounds good. The f- do it. Let's do it. The first, December the 1st, there was the first permanent artificial heart transplant. Like a plastic heart. Artificial. The word artificial. Was this, was what this it means. the Jarvik 7? Yes. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And it was all over the news, and they showed the valves and the, how they turned, and it was considered this 
It was um, amazing. Do people get artificial hearts at all now? I don't just think didn't so. never took off. I don't think that's so. what I was wondering too. I'm like, did anybody like do people do that? Because I don't think I've ever heard of somebody getting an either. artificial heart. I think that they got so much better at the body not rejecting animal hearts mm-hmm. or regular human hearts that they mm-hmm. don't need the artificial heart. But I'm not sure it worked that great. Mm. Like I know that guy didn't last a long time. That was going to be my next question. I'm like, did the person survive? He survived, but but I don't think it was a long thing. Of course, when you have that bad a heart problem, that you're the test dummy for the artificial heart, you're probably in bad shape. But to me, it was cool. can't be choosers, okay? Right, right, Mm -hmm. exactly. It was cool to me at the time, though, because I thought people were becoming uh, cyborgs, Mm -hmm. which I thought was the coolest thing you could be (laughs) when I was a child. I wanted to be a cyborg. Um, that's always the future hope that right. people are just going to become cyborgs. It's funny in 2021, it's like people still kind of, it's like, oh yeah, that's the future. Part man, part machine. It's coming. That's always been the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's coming. Somebody will get something implanted here pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here was one, Henry. Uh, Sophie's Choice was released at the box office. Wow. What an upper. That movie, when it came out, was like, the worst. Yeah, my mom was like, oh my God, they've made one for my mom. Everybody can hear that. Or everybody in their mind can see that scene where she gives the baby away. Mm. This one is um, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep and Kevin oh. Klein. Kevin Klein. You're one also going to love it because um, Christy McNichol, little brother Peter McNichol, stars in this film. Mm. And for those of you that don't remember Christy McNichol, she was like the uh, hot. Queen mm-hmm. in the early 80s oh, that yeah. all of us little seven and eight, nine-year-old boys like. In the summer camp movie? Yeah. First Whatever noticed girls. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, oh, oh, geez. Um, <laughs> That's true. Megan, what's the last significant event that we found? Um, the Times Man of the Year wasn't a man at all, actually. It was a computer. Was so a computer. Which in, in 82, I mean almost what 40 years ago mm-hmm. it's just crazy that even at that time like computers and technology were really like taking over in fact i think people might have been a little more excited about technology like at that point yeah i, I think know. i think people thought it would still save us at that point point. and also yeah. i think it'll come up later in this episode too that uh, computers and synthesizers and all of that had a profound Im- impact on where music was going at the time but, That's what I was thinking, but, too, when right. but, you brought know, up this news piece. I was like, this is going to tie in perfectly to one of the albums yeah, that we're going to talk about were, in particular. Yeah, people were talking about the downside, you know, like you said, even then. But I, I was thinking about it today, and Megan, I think you can equate it with now. It reminds me of the way we were when social media and smartphones hit. Like, we felt mm-hmm. that way about computers in the early 80s, and then it, I don't know, I don't ever remember it having quite the sinister side that I think social media does now. But yeah. there was that same fervor. Like I, I, it, kept, it made me think of that movie, Her, when it came out. Like, we, oh, your phone is going to be your girlfriend. Oh, Isn't that mm-hmm. amazing. Yes. I felt we were thinking that way. Like, everybody wanted their computer to talk in 82. Mm-hmm. You know, like... like true. <laughs> like, I think we'll see that later in this episode. And then, uh-huh. like, with Kate Bush, it was always like, my computer is lonely. You know, shit like that, where you're like... <laughs> Oh, they want it to be a person. That's neat. Very innocent uh, perspective on it, mm-hmm. just because it was such like a new thing. And we were really only looking at like the possibilities as in like the positive ones. And I mean, there were some people obviously probably that were kind of looking at the doomsday 
uh, side effects. Anytime there's anything, I mean, like television, people thought television yes. was evil too. So. Yes, yes, <laughs> you're yeah. exactly right. It's it's like cyclical yeah. with new technologies. All right, so those are the significant events. Why don't we do what we think we do best? I kind of feel like we do best. I guess our audience feels like we do best. That's right. Let's cover the albums. And the first one we're going to cover is by an artist by the name of Eddie Grant. The album is called Killer on the Rampage. And the song is, of course, Electric Avenue. I don't know. It seemed like you were kind of making some faces during that song. Was I hiding? I wasn't hiding it well, was I? I don't think so. I do remember when I first heard this, I was probably in summer camp. How did it hit you then? <laughs> I, I remember liking it a lot back yeah. then, but of course I was like 11 or 12 years old. A child. I was 12 <laughs> years old. I, I'm not sure that you weren't. Kind of on the on the front side of the target market, though. It seems like that. I mean, this. Well, okay. Let's start with this is this is the the Walk sixth album by um, Eddie Grant, and it's self produced, <laughs> right? He actually, I, I'll get into that later. I'm 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 fascinated with Eddie Grant. I'll I'll talk about that later. But to me, this album is a big. It's it, on purpose. It's a mixture of reggae, R&B, funk, all those things, kind of in a safe pop package, maybe with a little new wave mixed in there. I think it's really smart of him because what you said right there at the beginning, Henry, I think was he was targeting like teenage boys and girls in America who didn't really know what reggae was and needed a soft introduction to it. That's a very good uh, perspective because I think that's right. Like as a, as a grown man... Uh, I found the record to be like mediocre as hell, and I couldn't believe it. Like it made me look at the song that I did like when I was twelve and think, "Oh, what was I thinking?" Um, and but I think you made a good point there. Like it, it wasn't for me. I mean, it's not for me that now. It was for me then. Right, right. I, I, yeah, I don't think there was a lot of complexity built into it at the time. Uh, this song to me, that Electric Avenue was, to, was the song that all, that's the only one that had the goods. The other song. The, the other single, it was a, a dancing or whatever. I don't want to dance. I don't want to dance. That's even worse. It That guy sounded, I'm like, 
he made a Wesley Willis record somehow. <laughs> you need to put Wesley to, Willis underneath my voice you, here. You need to explain uh, what, Wesley Willis. Have you ever heard of Wesley Willis, Megan? I have not. So he was a uh, musician out of Chicago that, I guess he was mentally ill, but he carried around a Casio keyboard all the time and wrote these songs like that were just viciously um, graphic, you know, like... Uh, I want to kick Batman's ass, uh, suck a Bactrian camel's dick, like things like that. How did you hear about this artist? <laughs> but he sounds like this. <laughs> like that's really. It bizarre. sounded like he listened to an Eddie Grant album. <laughs> Batman got on my nerves. He was running me a moke. He ridiculed me, calling me a bum. I whoop Batman's ass. I whooped Batman's ass. I whooped Batman's ass. I whooped Batman's ass. I whooped. So, with all of that said, though, Henry, I think, and by the way, I Don't Want to Dance and War Party were both singles in the UK as well, Mm -hmm. and both did as well or better than Electric Avenue. He had three hits from this album. In the UK, so every everything about it, I think, did the right thing. I also, or did what he wanted it to do. Mm-hmm. I also think um, that he kind of worked in with War Party. He kind of worked in the political angle, which reggae is kind of stereotypically supposed to do. So I think he hit all the different things. But something he he you have to do if you're going to do a reggae right record it right. Was, it's not, i think it's, that's hilarious that the guy who did electric avenue which let's be honest like that's kind of become synonymous with like cheesy 80s music yeah. i would say like whether that was the intention of the song or not so, but the fact that like he tried to get political yeah <laughs> megan you never thought you don't see this as like a serious reggae record right Oh, not at all. Like, I just feel like because of this song, which this is probably not fair to Eddie Grant whatsoever. But like, I mean, the song has just been in so many like movies and television shows and commercials where it like doesn't really even feel like a real song anymore. Like it's more like a novelty song um, at this point. So that's just my perspective on it. So it's really hard for me to kind of take the album seriously. And I thought like when I was listening to it, like, first of all, who, like, I don't know if they didn't know that Electric Avenue was going to be a huge hit because the fact that the name of the album is Killer on the Rampage. Yeah, like, you think I it's going to be hardcore. It, there's nothing killer about it. No, <laughs> it like, doesn't fit the album really at all. So I was, because like, I assumed it was called Electric Avenue, but I was kind of shocked that it wasn't. When I went back and looked, looked at Eddie, because again, like with some of the albums we're covering today, I, I'm not a, Huge fan of the album, but the person's story was interesting. So Eddie immigrated from the West Indies, from a country of Guyana, mm-hmm. uh, in 1961 to London with his parents. And out of high school, he formed the first truly successful mixed race band in England called The Equals. Yes. And yeah. they had a number one hit called Baby Come Back.
So that's like kind of, I mean, like predates the specials and stuff like that. So I thought that was kind of cool. And, and the, the fact that Eddie is really more from London than he is from the Caribbean yeah. um, is kind of telling, too, that he does the in reggae. that song in particular, I feel like you mm-hmm. can hear um, like the rock influences right. of it. But so what he did with the with that with the money he made from that, I also thought was really cool. He built a studio. He instantly built a studio mm-hmm. when he was like twenty years old and started his own label called Ice Records. Mm-hmm. And from then on, he released all his own records from his studio on his own label, no which is another reason why I think he made Killer on the Rampage with money in mind because he had to make money because he oh, was on yeah. his own label. But I mean, he did, if you think about it, he did a great job running his own label working from his own studio. All of his albums up to this point were self-produced, so he didn't have to answer to anybody. That's pretty amazing, actually. It is. So it's like, I... And then here's the other piece that I wanted to mention. From the from Electric Avenue, you know what he did with the money from that? He bought up the catalogs of almost all the Caribbean music that he could find that was short of Bob Marley and, and that sort of thing. And then, mm-hmm. so most every Calypso album or song from the 60s and 70s from the West Indies he owns. No shit. And then he started repackaging those and putting them out and he's made a living to this day off of that more than off of his own career. So he's like a super music business Joke's man. on me for slagging on the album. I know. Lord, I mean, dude. that's why I thought it was so calculated. I mean, I, I have to give it to him, but I, then I go back to do I like the album and I, I don't. The only other thing I'd like to mention, Henry, it kind of reminded me of an album that we liked when we were young called Conscious Party by Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers, oh, yeah. which was kind of the same, like, it's sort of reggae, but it's trying to cross over and be a pop record. Okay, moving right along. Next record we're going to listen to, consider, talk about the motels. And the album is called All for One. And we're going to listen to a little bit of a song called Only the Lonely. We walked the loneliest mile. We smiled without any style. We kissed all together wrong. No intention We lie About each other's strengths We live Without each other Thinking what anyone Would do Without me and you It's like I told you Only the lonely Can play So 
Thank Christ you turned that off. God, <laughs> the song isn't fucking bad enough. <laughs> this is this album went gold, by the way. Yes, it did. I wonder why. I wonder who bought it. Well, like, wasn't the video for the song super popular? Yeah, it yes. was. And let's let before I can feel a Henry storm coming on. Uh, this was <laughs> this was the third album from the Motels. It was certified gold, and it had a top ten hit in Only the Lonely, which you just heard. Yeah, this fucking song. This record man the whole thing fucking sucked yeah i i and megan i wanted to get your opinion on this like i only mm-hmm. really knew them from this song and i yeah. guess i guess because i've it's one of those things where you've heard it so much it doesn't register but then listening to the rest the rest of the record she way over sings on this i thing. know i feel like they were trying a little well it's weird because i think i read something about how I don't remember which record company it was, but they said that this album like wasn't commercial sounding enough, which to me is weird because like I feel like this is one of the most commercial new wave, like even calling it new wave. I don't even know if that's like fitting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like I, it just I doesn't agree. really feel like new wave to me. So so just like with Quarter Flash, I was expecting something different especially just from hearing the one song and everything I'd ever heard about the motels, they were lumped into this new wave Mm -hmm. thing. However, I don't want to keep talking about this shitty album. There's something far more interesting that I dug up about this. Mm -hmm. So all the things you guys were saying are in a roundabout way. You, you picked up on what actually was happening here. The band at the time, the guitar player, his name was McGovern, Tim McGovern was boyfriend and girlfriend with, with, uh, Martha Davis, the singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought in a big hotshot producer for this record. This was going to be their big try to make it thing. The band decided no. They decided they were going to make a concept record, and they were going to make this really out there, wild concept record, artistic jump. Mm-hmm. They recorded it all. The producer guy got in a big fight with McGovern over it because he said it would never sell. It's it's going to be terrible, and the and McGovern left. And the reason was they got it completely done and they turned it into Capitol Records. And with that producer on the side of Capitol Records, they turned it down. They said, no, it's terrible. It was called Apocalypso. Hmm. Okay, so it wasn't this album. It's not this album, but they recorded all of these songs. So there is, if you, I found it on Apple Music, there is the Apocalypso version of this album. And so you can. Of this album? Of this album. So you can do a song for song comparison because here's what happened when McGovern left. The producer convinced Martha Davis to go for it and, and fix these songs. He brought in a bunch of studio musicians, and, and they basically glossed this thing up and commercialized it. So the fun for me was going back and listening to their versions versus their original versions. And it's not that the original versions are that crazy or wacky or artistic. Mm-hmm. It's that they sound like real human beings in a band playing songs. And then you listen to this shit, and you're like, this is what happens when like super musicians who have no soul come in and just... Like gloss it over, but so you you guys could hear a bit of the solo from the apocalypto version of that same song.
So there is no guitar solo. And if you notice, the sax player sounds like a real guy playing sax, whereas the sax part in the other one sounds meticulously perfect. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I even like her voice better. Like, I don't know, it just... Seems it more just relaxed. sounds more like a like authentic or something. Yeah, and so yeah. if you if you if you if you want to punish yourself because uh, <laughs> go back and do a song by song comparison, I think you'll end up liking this version a lot better because it just sounds like a um, a band, a real band trying to do something a little quirky. Yeah, yeah, and it's not glossy at all, and the guitar player doesn't sound great. But he sounds real, and he's got like it sounds like it's got heart. I can just I can just imagine the studio guys though, like sitting around when they were re-recording. They listen to this version, and then the sax guy's like, "Okay, got that, I, I, got that. Here, let me let me rip this out." I think that, you know, that's gotta suck for the yeah. band though. Like, I yes. would just think, yeah, like, you're right to do a whole album because just like the time too that that puts, and then basically be told that it sucks. Yeah, and then two of them, so McGovern never came back, and the drummer never came back because he was really pissed that they replaced him. And one of the session guys ended up joining the motels, one of the guys that played on it. But it's weird because she's really the only person in the motels at the time that's Mm -hmm. on this record, which is so... It's so record company. You know what I mean? She's still doing it, too. She's still doing it. There's still a Motels. I think it's uh, the the Motels with Martha Davis. And if you want to find, there's the entire Apocalypso album is on YouTube. You can listen to it in its entirety. I think any band, especially Mm -hmm. at that time, um, now I think the artists have a little bit more control over um, how they sound and the way that they uh, portray themselves. But back then, I mean... God knows like how many times this probably happened, you know, in, in some way. I mean, it was just such a different time. I'm going to give it a thumbs down, but it is an inter- another interesting story. That was, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, thumbs down overall. Hey folks, I'm just going to interrupt for a second here. If you are a podcast junkie like I am, you've probably thought about starting your own podcast. Well, I can tell you firsthand that starting a podcast is one of the best decisions we've ever made, but it can feel a little overwhelming if you don't know how to get started. And that's why I was really glad to find Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way I've ever found to launch a professional, or in our case, a semi-amateur professional podcast. These folks have helped over 100,000 people launch their own podcasts. They will get you onto every major podcasting platform like Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, Google, Amazon, and you can also get a great-looking podcast website. There are audio players that you can drop into other websites. My favorite part of is the detailed analytics that show uh, how many of you are listening. We look at this all the time. That's how we know where you are and how many of you are there. There are also tools there to promote your episodes and so on. Buzzsprout publishes a new blog on all kinds of topics all the time, like equipment and formats, and they have their own podcast episodes. There's also YouTube videos every week so that you can learn the ins and outs of podcasting from the people that eat and drink and breathe it so you never feel like you're on your own. So to start your own podcast and to get a $20 Amazon gift card, go and grab the link that I've got in the show notes. This lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you. It also helps support our show. So remember, Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. 
Megan, what's our next record? Well, it's by Joe Jackson uh, called Night and Day, and we'll be playing part of Breaking Us in Two, which personally I think is kind of just an awful song, but (laughs) take it out. I'm going to start by saying I unequivocally hated Joe Jackson as a child. I would actually run from the room if it if if Joe Jackson came on. Well, I I don't I love it. I don't get it. Well, I don't feel that way now about really? it, but I, I liked but, it. But as a kid, it was just it just struck me as uh, and and again, uh, I didn't know until we did this anything about it. I didn't know that this wasn't typical Joe Jackson, but this album is not typical. I I didn't Joe even Jackson. know who did these songs. Really, I knew they were in my head, but I didn't know the name of who of the person that did it. In fact, when you t- I, sometimes I got Joe Jackson confused with somebody else. I've done that like, with Joe Jackson. I feel yeah. like Joe Jackson in particular yeah. is just one of those artists because, and it's probably somewhat because of the way he looks. Like he's just like a yeah. nondescript looking, just white dude. Like now, this is the only real Joe Jackson album I've really listened to. But yeah. everything I was reading was saying he was super new wave before this. I can only imagine in his super new wave form that he sounded just like Thomas Dolby. Because his voice to me is Thomas Dolby. Yeah, like I like the flipping around part of his voice a lot. I, I just, I'm addicted to the way he does that. I don't know what you call it. It's over enunciating or flipping something around in his throat. Are you, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. He does have a good voice. It reminds me sort of the, the way Elvis Costello does his voice, pitching it around too. I feel like. I feel like he kind of has like a little bit, um, mm-hmm. as the kids would say, a vibe of like, Elvis Costello yeah. about him. And I don't know if that was like kind of intentional on his part. I could see where like he would be in that same category. At first, on first pass, maybe like the first few songs, I started wanting to put him in like the Danny Elfman Oingo Boingo box. For There's some another one, yeah. In I can my see head. that. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But then as the record went on and uh, the songs were still solid, like good in my mind, I compared him more to like, I guess I started putting a more of an XTC kind of 
Sophisticated. Yeah, sounds like that too. Jesus. Like a, more like sophisticated. I guess that's what I'd say. If you guys drop one more name that he sounds like, I'm not going to have room in this episode to put all the songs in. <laughs> but those are things that that's where I start wanting to group him in, you know. This is his yeah. fifth studio album. It was certified platinum. Uh, it went top five in both the UK and the US. It is, apparently this was his concept record as a tribute to Cole Porter. And he was going for the like 1930s New York City cocktail lounge uh, singer, everybody wearing tuxedos and cocktail dresses kind of vibe. That which, makes perfect sense. What did you guys think of the record? I thought it was really solid, like top to bottom. It's a good record. 
I just don't really like the song just because I've heard um, Breaking Us in Two yeah. so many times. Yeah, and I think this one, I, the reason I chose that one is um, I think it sounds the most Cole Porter-ish to me. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm yeah. not a huge Cole Porter guy, but like that one kind of reminds me of some of the Cole Porter stuff. But it reminds me more of maybe my parents somehow. Like mm-hmm. that was my parents' music during that time. You know, mm-hmm. I was the Eddie Grant in 1982. You know, they were... Into Joe Jackson in the, in the yeah, I don't know that. Like, I think my reaction as a child to Joe Jackson was the right one. I don't think he was going for ten year old Chris yeah. uh, in East Tennessee with his his no. New York <laughs> City yeah. Cole Porter stuff. But yeah, I liked it a lot more now. Going back to it, it's it's sophisticated, and, it, and I was expecting there to be a lot more filler. I was expecting there to just be songs mm-hmm. that were kind of trash, and I didn't find it to be that way. I'm going to go back and listen to um, listen to. His, apparently, he stopped doing pop music at one point. And did like classic classical music a guy's like the consummate really? musician yes yeah i, I didn't mean, know that well, think about it too like new wave is just happening and he's just given up on it so he's like he seems like maybe a step ahead of where commercial was supposed to be anyway right he wanted to do the new wave thing or do you think that he had kind of gotten pressured into doing the new wave thing because of the time period he like came up in that's an interesting question because everything keeps saying before this he was new wave so maybe this sounds more like what he wanted to do you're right i don't i don't know i don't Uh, know i just feel like like new wave like so many artists at that time like you had to almost do like a new wave album which is kind of funny like in retrospect i know (laughs) sometimes it did not work out at all with certain artists um i also wanted to give him a shout out for the song real men it was like one of the earliest 80s songs to speak directly to gay culture mm-hmm. it's in a, New York City. Yep, and he was trying to come out. At, uh, he was married at one point. Uh, that relationship was fraught. And then he could sort of confessed as years went on, I'm bisexual. And then now I think he's actually out. I didn't know that he was so, gay. Yeah, so um, I, I would say this is definitely, if you're, and I'm assuming you are, around the same age groups that we all are here not a 12-year-old child, so I would say toward going back and listening to If you are listening and you're 12, don't bother with this one. Go get the Eddie Grant record. <laughs> Boy! But yeah, Joe Jackson, thumbs up for this one. I, I, I'm going to uh, listen to some of his other work, too. I would give this album, like other than Breaking This In Two, I, I was pleasantly surprised by it, so I would give it a thumbs up and it might be because I just had such little expectations for <laughs> really? it. I don't right. know. I, I kind of had low. I felt the same way. I had low expectations. I was like, Oh, this isn't bad. All right, Henry, take us to our next All record. All right. The next record we're going to consider is by a little band from Australia called NXS. I N X S. And the record, I mean, this is what worst record title ever. I can't, I, every time I say it, it never comes out right. I can't say it, but it's Shabu, Shabu Shuba. Thank you. Yes, Megan. <laughs> I was rehearsing it all the way over here. Was I ever going to get it right? I have to look okay. right at it. Anyway. You're in a safe space. And of course the song, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. The first one, the, the song we're going to play is uh, called don't change.
you guys know how, like, uh, in court, if the judge knows the uh, witness or something, he's got to recuse himself? I may have to recuse myself on this. Why so? The first concert I went to when I moved to Charlotte, like within two weeks of moving to Charlotte, which to me was moving to the big city from Hillbilly Land. I'd never been to like a huge arena show. And I went to see, at first I got to camp out at the ticket booth, which was fucking amazing in eighth grade, spend the night at, at an arena parking lot. I thought right. that was the shit. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, but it was in excess on the kick tour with Ziggy Marley and the Melody oh, Makers opening. Yes, big, nice. big, big band, rock star. Ever since that moment. Yes. But so I may have to recuse myself from this uh, because I can't say a bad word about in excess. I'll, I'll save you a little bit. Okay. Um, I've, I, I love this album. I, I slog- do too. I slogged through the first eight songs, nine songs. That's, there's um, a few good songs on there. There's a set of songs like, uh, to me it sounded like the band was trying on a bunch of hats. I a, think they probably a little, were at that A little point. too immature and kind of fake funky. Right for a while, that first the first single the the one that's called the one thing you know that song yeah I love that song I love it was that a song. little cornball for me I could not shake that it sounded so Escape Club ripped it off for Wild Wild West I <laughs> love the video for that song as a child I was but, obsessed with that but video. the last song on the record the skies open up and it's like oh boy. This is the sound of these guys finding the right tone and mix for this for the way that Hutchins sings, right? And if you go back and you look at the video, these guys were so young and like oh, full of energy. Yeah. They, I mean, the, the sparks were flying off their fucking heels. You know, it was a beautiful thing. And it's like in that for that one moment, it was like all the other shit didn't happen. You know, kick didn't happen. All of that other stuff ha- didn't happen. You know, him dying in a hotel room in Australia didn't happen. That was like this beautiful moment. So that's what that's what I'll take away from the album. It wasn't I wasn't really that impressed with it until that last track. So in my opinion, you're totally wrong. <laughs> the first two albums, if you want to hear the trying on hats and trying to yeah. be funk, is that's the first two albums, which, granted, they don't know what they're trying to do. The interesting thing to me was they did the one thing, totally separate. They weren't not ready to make a record yet. They did it with a producer from England who they'd never worked with before and made the video, yep. and it went big. I, to me, that is the beginning of, okay, now we kind of know where we're headed. I think this entire record is there. Yeah. They know where they're going, but you were right. I agree. The last song, it's like almost like they put it at the end on purpose because it's like yeah. we figured it out. I think this is a really good record. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with this at all. I mean, the song "Don't Change," like just that song alone, like that is such a good song. It is. Yeah. Like that I keyboard love that riff, song. man. Like that I keyboard think it's riff is perfectly. Like mm-hmm. I agree with you. But yeah. Henry's making the rest of the record sound bad. It is not. It is not bad at all. There's a little bit of filler like on this record for sure, mm-hmm. but like there are other good songs on it. So I would say like out of their this is their third record. This is definitely like I think when they start to really like hone their strengths. My my question was though, why in the age where albums mattered, mm-hmm. how on earth did they listen, even with a producer or a record company, to that album and decide to put Don't Change on the 
last track. I don't know. I got another question though. Like you know that the producer that you said was untested. Like they they had to go to bat for this guy. He he had done one song. And right? Like, Is he good enough to do a whole record? Why didn't they continue with him? Like they they kind of cut his ass loose and went on. Yeah, because yeah. I think I think they were, and I think their first two albums kind of hinted at this. They were ruthlessly trying to find a sound and a thing that would go big. Yeah, yeah. That was part of their Australia wasn't big enough for for an excess. They wanted to be commercial. Yeah, for sure. Which I mean, I don't think I think people kind of talk badly about like bands or artists that sell out, but it's like, well, really, I mean, selling out just means making money and like making a living off of what you're doing. So I don't know, like, I don't, I don't really see any problem with doing that and like wanting to be great at what you're doing. And I think at this point in this album, they were really hungry for that. Um, especially Michael Hutchins. I think he just like, he had everything needed to get to that point. Cause like, I mean, he was a good looking guy. He had charisma. Mm-hmm. He had a good voice. Like he was there. He just hadn't reached that point yet. Yeah. And I think, I think you make a good point too. Like uh, it's easy, especially in the nineties when Henry and I were coming through and selling out was a big deal and a problem. It's real easy to go there when you live in America, which is like the ground zero for music. So you're like, you have access to shit that people like in bumfuck Australia don't mm-hmm. so selling out probably is not as bad an idea there because you're like yeah I want to be heard in America and you know mm-hmm. a lot of our favorite English bands like the Smiths and bands like that didn't even think they'd made it until they were heard in America like we got to make it in America so that sellout concept I think has a different connotation for Americans like that's a good point uh, in our heads so I don't really blame them for it. I mean, obviously, any band that ended up doing a television show 10 years after their singer died to try to find a new singer and... It's obvious yeah. they had a lot of careerist DNA in there, for yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah. But I'm so. going to give this one a, a thumbs up. I, I think it's definitely worth a listen. Yeah, I'll give it a thumbs up. Same. Okay, well, that'll get us to our last record. It's by Neil Young. It's an album called Trans. Um, and this song is called Transformer Man. going on in my head is that the way it's supposed to sound 
<laughs> it sounds be, like Daft Punk if they were if they asshole. were shitty. I love stop this album. Being, God, dude, that is great. Yes, I am a fan. Oh fuck! Of this album's this terrible. album, but I don't think Megan, it's, it's not really an album. That's the problem. Like I love it, but it's like it's like two thirds of a record, and the rest just like I mean, Neil Young songs. Did you guys? <laughs> did you guys listen to it? Yes. Yeah, that I've was, listened to it before. Okay. That was Neil Young. That's right. The great Neil but Young. But don't you think that's kind of cool? I like, a, I don't uh, know. No. I kind of respect the fact that, yes. like, nobody, everybody kind of, like, I thinks a, of Neil Young as just being, like, the acoustic guitar and, like, singer-songwriter, yeah. which obviously he's great at. But the fact that he did something so, like, Yeah, like, screw unexpected. you guys, I'm making a left-hand turn. Okay, so I guess I kind of approach it from the same thing where we've talked about a few other, like, um, what what do you call that? Artists from another genre trying to go 80s. Like, we've talked about Paul McCartney doing it and The Who trying to do it. I think this is super, like, commercial 80s, though. Like, I don't think this is trying to do new wave. It aged well, Megan. This I think it sounds like craft work. That's the problem. Yes. This age well? Yes. Have you guys heard that? It makes Daft more Punk? sense now than it did then. Horrible. The whole record is about is supposed to be weird like this. It, it's it's born, not weird. It's bad. It's born out of attempts to communicate with his kid. Yeah, and, that's what I was just going to say. Uh, like once you know like the story behind it, uh, like I don't know. I just think that that really makes it super cool. Uh, and like, I love the heartstring aspect, but it still fucking sucks. And if it wasn't it, Neil Young, you would be like this. But it is Neil Young. No, because I love craft work, and this is like, I mean, not all of it. Transformer is a beautiful song. There are craft work elements to it, so I think that regardless, because I'm not like a Neil Young diehard. Like, he's not one of my favorites. This is a spitting in the face of craft work. Craft work knows how to do this shit. This is just horrible. Like he's even trying to do like, opinion. like it sounds like guitars. Like there's like guitars doing synth parts, and there's drums trying to sound like a drum machine instead of just using fucking drum machine. That's great. It'd be different if it was like I mean you can look at it really like from another album that we're talking about for this month, like the Motels, like what they were trying to do. Like we want to be new wave, but we want to be like commercial new wave. Like we want to be able to like sell it, mm-hmm. um, but still have that sound. Mm-hmm. And like I feel like. I mean, to a certain degree, Neil Young was doing that too, but he was doing it for different reasons. The difference, and to me, that makes the product different. Yeah, I agree I with guess. you, I, and you're you're right. But I, I I definitely think the difference is the motels didn't have the capital to tell capital to fuck off, and Neil Young mm-hmm. had the capital to tell whatever record company to go, go fuck, fuck yourself. I yeah. want to, which synth, I kind of love that I want to do synth <laughs> shit, but only on two thirds of the fucking record, dude. What do you think? It's it's bad. Why Everything about it. Why is he jamming in non? Synth songs on here because because it's Neil. He wants to do what he wants to do. That's what fucked it up. I do agree that I think it would have been better if he just would have fully embraced. Like if you're going to do a concept album, I guess like just go all in like on that. It It sounds to be a continuation. Supposed to be a continuation of some shit he was doing with Crazy Horse, right? And then he took the shit away and stripped all their parts off and started adding. Poncho Sempedric called it a synth shit. Well, right. Unquote. Can you imagine Crazy Horse when they heard oh. what he did to this shit? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that, though. <laughs> yeah. God damn like you guys. This, guys. this was this also a step in the direction of making, like, Geffen sued him for making records that were uncharacteristic of him. and I feel like I that. should be allowed to sue him after listening to this record. <laughs> oh, stop. 
<laughs> We've listened to much worse. Oh trust my God. Me. <laughs> so if you just took a big I mean, shit and and put it out on it's album, you guys shit. would both be like, this is fucking it's not, awesome. It's a false equivalency. Hey, no, I've never said shit. that. Because you're both saying you like it just because he can do whatever he no, wants. No, I like it because it sounds good. It does not yeah. sound good. It sounds good. adventurous and like... Uh, it and, does sound adventurous. Yeah, and I like that shit. It does not sound good. Yeah. It's not all about that, like, good. Whatever you mean <laughs> good is. Yeah, it's not like my favorite album. I'm surprised. I didn't expect this strong um, Love of a, and yeah, like from uh, Chris. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't like it. If, if you're listening out there, don't don't even bother. If if you that little bit that we played is enough. Mercy, mercy. All right, big. See, f- I didn't think that song is that like I like that song, and I just think it's super craftworky. Okay, that comp- that song, Computer Cowboy, does need a little work. A little work, right? <laughs> but uh, that's the only one. <laughs> Anything like computer cowboy, too. That's like one where it's like, okay, that's very 80s to call something computer <laughs> yeah. cowboy. Like now it. people wouldn't I do get that. It. All right, Neil, you're trying to be craft work. I get it. Okay. And you're not Which is interesting because I just never would have guessed that like Neil Young would even know who craft work is. I think Chris doesn't have a problem with the concept of Neil Young no. doing it. He feels. He thinks the execution is lacking. He didn't pull it this off. This is kind of fair. That's, that's what he's saying. So it's not, he's not saying that the act of like being adventurous or trying some wacky shit is bad. He but, thinks it's half-assed. And I think it's half-assed. And then he's the kind of guy that he won't let anybody tell him, hey, we could actually make this a good effort. I don't, I do applaud the effort. I, I don't mind that. I don't mind any artist trying to do something crazy. I just think he did it terribly. Hmm. That's my, that's my critique. All right. It could have been better. I will give you that. Excellent. I'll still take that. I'll up. take that as a win. Still a thumbs up from me, though. Yeah, uh, same. You Boom. know what Chris is getting. In fact, it. I think Chris is going to be really mad at me in a second. Boom. All right, so the pick. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, shit. She's going to do it, dude. She's going to do it. What? What's I'm the pick, Megan? What is it? Wait, let me mute her pick mic. Of the, <laughs> pick of the episode. What is it going to be? I am going to pick trans yes. by Neil Boom. And that's and that was my pick like going in. Boom. Like this this conversation had nothing to do with it. Like I decided that that was going to be Conflict it. Conflict is a bitch. All of you <laughs> all of you Megan fans out there enjoy this one. Enjoy it. You know, I'm going to pick Yes. What are you going to pick? You're Joe Jackson. I kind of That is a good record top to bottom quality built like a Built like a solid car. I don't know it why, but I felt like you were going to pick that before we did this uh, show. And I don't know why, because I don't see you as a piano ballad kind of guy. I'm not. I'm not. But I know quality when I see it. Like, mm-hmm. I know I know when somebody's got the scratch mm-hmm. from top to bottom. And I heard some good stuff from, from three different records on this app, but Joe's the one that nailed it. I am going to go with uh, the boring pick, I guess, of the group, Shabu Shuba. Of course. Which I can't say. How come nobody can say that? I can't say it, and I, I like, like it. It's a bad name for a record, and then the artwork for that record sucks, too. Yeah, yeah. I thought. I did, too. And by the way. It's like uh, a dog or something. I don't know. It's like a goat. I think it's a guy holding a baby goat. It's something like that. It's Michael it's like Hutchins a- did it, by the way. He did the artwork himself. So. Oh, well, he's dead, so. Yeah, what a <laughs> completist. But yeah, I think I think I feel like the majority of uh, our fan base is going to really enjoy that in excess out more than trans. Well, <laughs> we'll see. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to take a. Vote. I'm doing it for me, Chris. I know. I know. <laughs> you know You're standing by your up. principles. I love it. 
Well, folks, if you like the records we're choosing, if you, even if you don't, rate and review us on iTunes. Please consider subscribing to the pod. You'll have our newest content downloaded to your uh, device. Most of our folks listen to us on mobile devices, come to find out. They like to be in the car, tooling around, maybe doing a little work is what I like to hear. It's very few of us do, uh, do laptop stuff, mm-hmm. weirdly enough. So review us on Apple Podcasts or other platforms like Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, things like that. Tell Henry, I, I, uh, I uh, don't mean to interrupt you here, but yep. I had heard a rumor that we are the number one rated or the number one, is it rated or we the first are, one that comes up on Pandora? We if are, right, the number one rated 80s podcast Boom. on Pandora. Couldn't cool. get that out. And there's a lot of 80s music podcasts out there, too, because I've looked before. Pandora yes. has cracked the code, and we might as well be sponsored by Pandora. I want to just thank everybody for making us that, because we didn't do that. You guys did that, so Ab- thank you. Absolutely. Our uh, our Thriller episode was uh, was really popular, and uh, if you get a chance, go back and listen to that. We wrestle with some pretty interesting stuff on that one. Also, Henry, I thought this might be a good place to bring up the fact. So Henry, during the week, goes and checks our stats and things, and then he texts me, and he said that the city in America where we do the best, if I am Right. You said it was Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio what? loves us. <laughs> and here's the thing. I looked it up on a map, and Columbus, Ohio is almost the best city you could pick to be directly in the middle of where we live and where Megan lives. I was just going to say, I'm like, I feel like that's in between us. So that could be a meeting point. So I was thinking maybe if all of our fans in Columbus would get together and hit us up and make it happen, we could come and meet all three of us together and record a live podcast from some fan's house. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yes. I think that would be cool. That would be cool. So if you are down Columbus, Ohio, send us an email at 80smusicexposed at gmail.com. That's 80smusicexposed at gmail.com, Columbus, Ohio. 80s Music Exposed. That's 80s Music Exposed at gmail.com. There it is. Hit us up, Columbus. We would love to do a live show from there, and we would love to actually get to meet Megan in person because we haven't done that yet. This is true. And the pandemic seems to be kind of lessening, hopefully. So. Right. The vaccinations will be up there. We'll be able to rub elbows at the very least. Well, I think it'll be summertime by the time we hook it up so we can do it outside on somebody's back porch. Man, so that would be a blast. Be a, wouldn't be a problem. Uh, you can also chat us up, ask us questions, even on Twitter at 80s Exposed, or you can hit us up on social media. My Twitter handle is at Hank G. What about you guys? Mine is at TCI Duke, and I bet you Megan doesn't have a Twitter handle. <laughs> Last I heard, she does not. I don't think Would she that does. be because I've told you before that I don't have a Twitter Oh, <laughs> oh, every time I think you say that. What do you have, though? Um, I have an Instagram, so you can uh, follow me on there. It's uh, Bastards of Young 92. There you go. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us. If it weren't for you, uh, we'd run out of gas and we'd have nobody to talk to. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been really cool. Chris, Megan, guess what? What's that? I made you a mixtape. <laughs>